And thank you, worship team. Well, if you are here and you have a bulletin, please pull it out. We are going to be starting a six-week series on our vision and mission here at Indiana Alliance Church. Now, about three years ago, we did a very similar series, but as we're looking at our church from three years ago to today, about 50% of the people that now attend our church did not attend our church three years ago. And so we want to refresh our memories as a church. We want to refresh our memories of those who have been here for those last three years and those of you who are new. Many times the question is, what is our church about? What does our vision and mission mean? And so for six weeks, we're going to unpack that. And at the top of your bulletin, right under the date and next to our logo, you will see our vision statement. And it says this, aspiring to proclaim the gospel, to be a refuge, and to restore our relationships with God and others. Now, for the last three years, we have been pursuing that vision. We have been moving forward with that vision. And today, we're going to look at the word aspire. What does aspiring mean in our vision? How do we aspire in and as a church. And so we're going to unpack for the next six weeks this idea of our vision. And my hope and my prayer and the elders' hope and prayer is that as we walk through this vision that we'll see, man, this is what God has been doing. Here's where God has been working and moving in this vision. But also that we'll say, you know what, we've just not hit that bar yet. We're not there yet. And so there is more for us to do. And I believe that this vision is God-sized. It cannot be done by humans alone. So let us pray, and then we will jump into how we can aspire and look at the wisdom of surrender. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can gather together online or here in person. It is a blessing that not all Christians around the world have, so we are grateful. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will illuminate your word this morning. That we will see what you are saying to us, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and in our spirits. May this be a moment where we look and say, am I living that way? And if the answer is no, that we will begin to live the way you're calling us to live. Be with us now in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I, I often confess that I am not good at home repair projects. I'm just not. Now, I, I am so grateful for the trustees who know what they're doing because I don't. And when I owned a house in the inner city of Pittsburgh, uh, we had this, this tub that all of a sudden began to have all kinds of issues. And I don't know if you've ever had a tub that had lining in it. This was a cast iron tub that had a, a, a lining to it. And all of a sudden, there was just water underneath the lining, in between the cast iron and the lining itself. And eventually, I, I just stopped dealing with it because I couldn't figure out what was going on. Eventually, it was like you were taking a shower on a waterbed. It got that bad because I just couldn't figure out how to fix it. I tried all kinds of different things. I took the drain plug and I pushed it out. And eventually, you know, I got all the water out, but then it would just come back. I looked at all the caulking and I tried to recaulk and it looked really, really disgusting because it's all beaded everywhere. And everyone who walked in was like, who did that? And I said it was somebody else. <laughs> right? 
But it was so difficult. It kept happening. So I finally called the most wise and handiest man I have ever met in my entire life, my father-in-law. Jack is one of those guys who could look at something, diagnose it, and fix it in five seconds. And I was just rejecting the idea that I needed him to come help me. But he is a man who is servant-filled. He loves Jesus and cares and looked at my bathtub and said, son, you do need some help. And so he just quickly diagnosed the fact that my grout was bad on the tile and that behind it all of the drywall was completely destroyed and the water was getting in that way. I would have never known because the grout looked okay to me, but apparently it was not. I tried to rely on myself, and I share that often, that I try to rely on myself because I sometimes get this thought that I can handle it. I wanted to look at that tub and say, I am the man of this house. I can fix this tub. Who steps on a waterbed in their shower, right? There's got to be a simple solution. But there wasn't. I was relying upon myself. And I believe that that often in our faith, we do the same thing. We, We look at Christianity as one of those things that we can do in and of ourselves, but we cannot. We cannot because we try to be self sufficient. We don't want to give up control. And I believe that refusal to surrender boils down to control and fear. Refusal to surrender boils down to control and fear. We don't want to lose control. I did not want to lose control of my bathtub and fixing it so that I could look at Hillary and say, I did it. And she'd give me a big hug and a kiss and celebrate the fact that I fixed the tub. Now, that probably wouldn't have happened, but in my mind, that's what was going on. And we're also afraid if we give up control, if we surrender to the Lord and we say, yeah, okay, I want you to take and have everything. I want you to lead and guide every aspect of my life. Then we recognize, man, that loss of control. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea. There's this fear. What if I let God have control? What's going to happen to my finances? What's going to happen to my life? Where is God going to guide and direct me? We desire to control our own fates. As humans, we desire to control our own fates. In Western society, it's even more just pushed upon us that we have to live for ourselves, that it's all about us, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to live and make money and, and be good in society is all upon our own shoulders but we need to surrender. I fully believe that there is wisdom in surrender. And let me say the idea of surrender is the heart of the word aspiring in our vision. Surrender is the heart of aspiring in our vision. So the question that we will ask today is how can we be wise and surrender? How can we be wise and surrender? And we're going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians because there's no other place that I could turn to that, that has this very explicitly to the church in general as Paul talks to the church in Corinth. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 31 first, and then we'll look at 2, 1 through 5, and 2, 10 through 14. The word of the Lord. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Wow, Paul is talking to a church that thinks that philosophy and wisdom are very important. That they look at the teachers that they have followed and say, that's, that's the person. That, I'm better because I follow that person's wisdom. I'm for Paul, I'm for Barnabas, I'm for this teacher. I'm better because I have greater wisdom. But here, Paul specifically talks to individuals and the church as a whole and says, listen, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. He gives them tools in order to understand and live into the wisdom of surrender. And the first thing that we see is that we are to recognize our inadequacy and realize his sufficiency. Paul says very specifically, God's wisdom is greater than yours. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's talking about. God understands all things. God's foolishness is wiser than your wisdom. Now, we know that God is not foolish, but what he's saying is that God's least, least part of his thoughts are more lofty and more wise than your most highest thought. You cannot compare or comprehend the beauty of God's wisdom. So why are you trying to do it on your own? He's telling them that you need to look at your own inadequacy. And he even goes so far as to say that none of you were really wise. None of you were of noble birth. That would have been pretty offensive to the Corinthians who thought themselves great and awesome and wise. He's like, listen, you think you're wise, but you're really not. You cannot lean on your own understanding. You must lean into the wisdom of God. How often do churches and individuals try to rely upon humans' wisdom instead of the Lord's wisdom? 
Too often we look at humanity and say, oh man, there's some really great tools of how to do church and how to be a church and how to go after these different things and, and, and move forward. But like Joshua, when he fell, it was because he did not consult the Lord. We need to consult the Lord. We need to recognize our own inadequacy and realize his sufficiency. You see, in the Corinthian church, they desired God's power. They desired what God could give them. They were all about the spiritual gifts. Paul had to take several different moments to kind of block them down in 12 and 14 about their understanding of the spiritual gifts. Now he says, you need to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He challenges us as the church and individuals to go after the spiritual gifts that he listed in the book of 1 Corinthians. But he states it's more important for you to go after the giver than the gifts. And when you go after the giver and you understand who the giver is, you're focusing on who he is, those gifts will naturally come and you can pursue them knowing the wisdom of God, the mind of Christ for your life. And so we need to recognize our own inadequacy. But we also, we must seek God's face, not just his hands. In order for us to have this deep, intimate relationship and the wisdom of surrender and handing things over to the Lord, we must seek his face and not just his hands. The Corinthian church were receiving or pursuing what they can receive from the Lord. That was their passion at that moment was what can God give me? What can God give me? What gifts can I have? What kind of power can I live in? They're pursuing the gifts and missing the giver completely. But if you and I are to surrender to the wisdom of God, if we are to aspire as a church, we must seek God's face. Moses met with God on the mountain as one meets face to face. The proximity of his relationship with God was so intimate. It was so passionate. Moses recognized that he could not move forward as the deliverer without the guidance and leadership of the Lord. Now, did he mess up and rely upon his own wisdom? Yes, we know that he did. The same is true for Joshua, who also pursued God's face and not just his hands. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect and never mess up. But our goal is to pursue the face of God, not just his hands. Remember what, what Paul said, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We must pursue God. What is God saying? What is God doing? And when we have this attitude of trying to go after the gifts rather than the giver, Jesus can be kind of an addition to our lives. We can say, okay, Jesus, you're, you're just part of my life. You're an aspect of my life. Church and, and my relationship with the community of God is just a part of my life. It's something I set aside for once a week or maybe twice a week, and that's, that's how we treat Jesus, as an addition. But Jesus is not in addition. He is to be all. Jesus is not an addition. He is to be all. And that is true as a church. As we follow the vision that God has given us, as the elders and the business board and the staff, as we lay ourselves before the Lord, we need to say, Jesus, you're all. You're everything. This whole thing, this whole vision and mission, what you've called the church to do, how we are called to live in this world is all about Jesus. And if we ever stray from that, then we are leaning in our own wisdom 
May Jesus never be an addition to our lives or to our church's vision, our church life. May it be all about Jesus. May he not just be on the side where we do our own thing and say, Jesus, bless this. I've seen that happen as I've grown up in the church as a child and a product of the church. I've seen that happen often where we sit down and we have a meeting and we figure out where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And then, then at the end we say, okay, God, bless our plans. You hear that? Bless our plans. That is not the way it should be. We should say, God, what are your plans? Jesus, what are your plans? And we have this confidence knowing that as Jesus is saying this is where to go, that he will naturally bless it. We don't have to ask him to bless his own plan. It's already blessed. It's already given. It's already shown. You see, that is what we are called to do, and that is what we as leaders of the church are aspiring to do. We are aspiring to surrender and follow the lead of Jesus, to make him our all. The Corinthian church, they upheld wisdom and philosophy above Jesus. Jesus was a side part of their church. They were not glorifying Christ the way that they should have been. And Paul challenges them that you need Christ. But we also need to recognize what Paul is saying in our insufficiency is that when God shows up, we are to point to him, not to ourselves. You see, God, even though the Corinthian church was messed up and they were not going after Christ as their all in all, there were still some great things that were happening in that church. There was diversity that was unfounded at the time where Gentiles and pagan believers came to Christ and began to believe in Christ. And there were Jews who believed in, in the Abba Father already and then they saw Christ and believed that he was the Messiah. And the two came together and they saw the Holy Spirit move in power. But they began to point to themselves. They began to say, as we had seen in our series on love, man, my spiritual gift is better. My life is better. I am a better Christian because I don't do X, Y, Z. I am a better Christian because I do X, Y, Z. I'm more free. I'm less free. All these different aspects. They grew into this place of pointing to themselves. But when God shows up, we are not to point to ourselves. We as a church are not to point to our elders or our staff and say, wow, they did a great job. Look at what happened. When we see what God is doing and moving, when our church grows in depth and numerically, that's not on us as elders or the staff. That is all glory to Jesus. When people come to Christ at an event for youth or college, that's not something to be congratulated for us as staff. It's something to give Christ glory for. I don't know, and I don't know why. Maybe this is a, a sinful thing for me that I need to wrestle with, but I, I, I don't know. Here it is. When I see churches give these numbers of all the people that came to Christ because of their church, I get a little irritated. And I had to ask the question, well, why am I irritated? Is it because I don't see those big numbers in my own? Is it comparison? Is it joylessness? I don't think that's it for me internally anymore. I think I balk at that a little bit because it's like, well, look at what our church did. Even though they say, oh, good, good job, Jesus. It's almost like only at our church could these people have come to Christ. That irritates me. 
And so what I feel is, is the duty is to say, yes, people are coming to Christ. Fantastic. That is amazing. People are baptized. But it's not about us. We can't point to ourselves. Even those events that we had this weekend, God drew them. God brought them. In the junior high, there was an announcement over the PA system for our event. That wasn't, that wasn't us. That was God. God made that happen. God is good. And when things happen well, we need to point to Christ. Warren Wiersbe says of this particular passage, he says, The gospel of God's grace leaves no room for personal boasting because we are insufficient and God is all-sufficient. We need to do and go where he is going, and when we see fruit, we need to glorify the name of Christ. Because surrendering to someone who knows better is the wisest course of action. And when we recognize that we are surrendering to him, all fruit is of him and not from us. All fruit is from him and not from us. Paul then moves into a little bit more of a, a deeper discussion about wisdom on how we can be wise and surrender. And I believe it's, he's saying this to us, that we need to rest our faith in God's power and not man's wisdom. We need to rest our faith in God's power, not man's wisdom. Gordon Fee unpacks this passage by saying this. In every possible way, Paul has tried to show them the folly of their present fascination with wisdom, which has inherent within it the folly of self-sufficiency and self-congratulation. Even the preacher whom God uses to bring them to faith had to reject self-reliance. Paul comes to them and says, I did not speak with wise words. It was the Spirit's power. I purposely did not come with these deep philosophical ideals when I preached the gospel to you as the Corinthian church. I came in reliance and surrender upon the Holy Spirit so that no one could boast that it was no man who could say, look at what I did. So that when Paul left Corinth, he wasn't saying, well, I brought 7,500 people to Jesus. Woo, go Paul. He said, no, it wasn't about me. The only reason you came to know Christ at all was because the Holy Spirit was leading. It was not man's wisdom. So we need to re rely and rest on the power of God. We have to have faith in his power that when we surrender, he will empower us to do what he's called us to do. When we ask the Lord, where are we to go? He will not just give us an answer of the path, but he will give us the power to do it. So when he gives us a path, we can't rely on our own wisdom then. It needs to be consistently surrendering. See, the Corinthians wanted their brains tickled with philosophical prose, but the Lord wanted to transform their arrogant hearts. He didn't want to tickle their brains. The Spirit of God, when Paul was preaching, wanted to change their hearts. And too often, I've seen in the Western church that it's all about tickling the brains, making people feel like, oh man, that's really great. I'm going to write that wisdom down. Oh man, how, how awesome was that? Wow, Marv, you just had some really great insight. Or Ravi, you just had some really great insight. I'm going to write that down. It tickles my brain. It makes me really, really excited. But it's not about us. In American church culture, there's been too much leaning upon human wisdom. And let me say this, 
I, like many others, even our own denominational leadership, we have confessed this and we've shared this. But I, like many others, were deceived by Ravi Zacharias because of his wisdom. We looked at his philosophical prose and said, wow, man, he's got to have the Holy Spirit if he can make up those things and say those things. What powerful words he has. And maybe, you know what, God was probably using him in many different aspects despite himself. But here's the thing. We were blinded to what was really going on in his life, not allowing our spiritual discernment bells to go off because we were so impressed by his wisdom. Every time I talk to anybody about Ravi Zacharias, it's always, wow, he's so wise. Wow, he's really got some great things to say. His words are really awesome. But do you hear what we said? His, 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 his. That's the danger. We live in a celebrity pastor culture that needs to change. Because when we look at a man and say, wow, look how great he is, we have missed the point. And when a man steps back and says, yeah, go ahead and say how great I am, then he's missed the point. Because it's not about me, it's not about our elders, it's not about our staff, it's about Jesus. Spirit-led wisdom ministers to the heart and not just the head. When we hear a passage or when we hear a sermon or when we hear something great in a book, we need to ask the question, is my mind being tickled or is my heart being changed? Because it's not just about staying in our head. We need to allow the word of God to impact our hearts, to change us from the inside out. Not so we can regurgitate some really great philosophy, but so that we can have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of Christ. And that takes a heart transformation, not just a head, brain tickle. A.B. Simpson, the founder of our movement, Christian Missionary Alliance, said this, Mere wisdom would make us hard and cold, but wisdom set on fire with love and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit will enable us to bless the world. And here's point number eight. A church's vision is realized only through spirit-filled dependence. What A.B. Simpson is saying is that, that man's wisdom leaves us empty and our brain full. But when our hearts are energized by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when we can see the God-sized vision come to fruition. Listen, one of the things that we as elders and leaders and staff attempt to do, that we aspire to do, is to be spirit-led, spirit-filled, and surrendered and dependent upon Him. We spend time praying together for the first 30 to 40 minutes as elders every time we meet which sometimes takes us to a later meeting, but what's important is really asking God's leadership and guidance first. The same happens with our staff meetings and our business board meetings. We spend time in prayer first because prayer is the primary work of God's people, as we say is our first core value of the CMA. Spirit-filled dependence, that's how a church's vision and only how a church's vision can be realized. A.W. Tozer once said, 
You see, the Holy Spirit rules out and excludes all Adam's flesh, all human brightness, all of that scintillating human personality, human ability, and human efficiency. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his job as we lead and as we guide, is to take all those things aside of those humanity things, the flesh of Adam. He says, let us be led by the Spirit. Let us go after the Holy Spirit's wisdom because he is the one who knows and we do not. If as a church we aspire to move forward with the God-sized vision that we have, because this, this vision of aspiring to proclaim the gospel and to be a refuge and to restore relationships with God and others, if you look at that, that's really not possible in a human level. It's not. We can't even proclaim the gospel without surrender to the Holy Spirit because it's not about us. It's about him. It's what he does. It's what he says. And I believe that too much evangelism goes on in today's church relying upon human wisdom. Is it good to have a defense that Peter calls us to have? Absolutely. Are apologetics important where we can have discussion with people who have thoughts that are so antithetical to the gospel? Yes, it's important for us to be able to answer questions. It's important for us to engage those questions. But it's more important for us to rely upon the Holy Spirit first. Because his wisdom is way, way, way better than our own wisdom. At 2, 4, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 4, Paul himself, the wisest apostle in my opinion, he was super smart, wicked smart, but he says not even he relied upon his own wisdom. Not even the wisest apostle relied upon his own wisdom. He came with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's power. Not with wise or persuasive words. That is how we are to live, how we are to move in our lives. We are to be a people of surrender and dependence, not self-reliance. Not self-reliance. This is the heart of the word aspiring. And I hope that you see that in our lives at least a little bit as leaders, if not a lot of it. And when we stray from this idea of being people of surrender and dependence and not self-reliance, call, call us out. I know the elders have done that to me several times. They're like, hey, you're really working in your own power. You're getting a little burned out because you're doing it on your own. You need to step back and spend some more time with Jesus. My wife says the same thing. She's like, wow, you're really grumpy. You've not spent time with Jesus. I know. You need to get away from me and go spend time with Jesus. We are to be a people of surrender and dependence, not self-reliance. Just like I couldn't handle the waterbed tub on my own, you cannot handle the Christian life on your own. We as a church cannot handle the God-sized vision on our own because we need Him. But we also, as a church, as leaders, need you to be individuals who are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Because we need you to move and minister in our church. We need your gifts and your talents and your abilities. We cannot just be people who sit back on the pew and just rest and are comfortable. 
ask the Lord, how can I move and help the church fulfill this vision? Because the elders and the staff and the other leaders, they cannot fulfill the vision on their own. That is how God has designed community, where we move in unison, as we move together, as we minister, as we see we are proclaiming the gospel in different ways through our community events and our big events with our, our high school and middle school and college students. That is where we need to be. That is what we need to do and say, God, how can I be a part? How can I be a part? Sunday school for kids. Wednesday night when we start that up again for kids. Prayer meeting where we are passionately praying together. There are areas for us to be involved together to push the vision that God has given us forward. We need you because you did not receive a junior Holy Spirit. It's one of my favorite statements that I've said often that we need to consistently remind ourselves. It's not just the elders. It's not just the staff. It's not just the other leaders in the church. Every single one of us who believe in Jesus Christ have received the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Amen? And so we need to live in that. And we need to pursue what he is calling us to. One of the most powerful phrases in scripture for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. You and I have access to the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards, D.L. Moody, A.B. Simpson, Billy Graham, all giants in the faith. They, all of them, together had said that when they were doing things on their own, there was no fruit. D.L. Moody was the most powerful with the statement where he said, I would preach sermons and nothing would happen. And I would shout and I would yell and I would scream and I was passionate about it. But nothing happened. But one moment I met the Holy Spirit and he filled me and instantly the same sermons, the same manuscript, the same exact words, everything I had already done, people, hundreds of people were coming to Christ, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit. And I recognized in that moment, wow, I really needed surrender to God. He was passionate, he was powerful, he was a giant in the faith and it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon him and he surrendered to the Spirit's power that anything happened in his life. Simpson says the same. Billy Graham says the same. You and I need the Holy Spirit of God. A.W. Tozer once said, and this is probably the hardest quote that I have ever read from Tozer. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Wow. That is tough. But I, I believe it's true. And this, he said in the 60s, when it seemed like the church was on track, and it seemed like the church was growing, when the church had its most influential aspect in all realms of American life, he said this. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we aspire to be a church that fulfills the God-sized vision that we have received. We need the Holy Spirit. There's wisdom in surrender. So let's be wise and surrender to him and his mission, not our own. Let's be wise 
and surrender to him and his mission and not our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we have the capacity to do your will through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I pray first and foremost that you will continue to draw me to be a man that pursues your face and not your hands. I fail often. I fall often. But I need you. Help me to consistently see my insufficiency, my inadequacy in your power. And then may we as a church and individuals have the same. May we aspire to fulfill what you've called us to as we surrender in your name.